step forward and tell the actors to, to emote some sort of emotion <laughs> or say it in a certain way that was contrary to what Keith wanted him to do. And, and Keith had asked him not to do that. He would still do it. And Elvis said, well, because he thought it was his film. And Keith said, it's my film. He says, get off my film. So when it came time for me to write the music, Keith said, if Elder calls you, you are not to listen to anything he tells you to do. If you do, I will break your legs. <laughs> That's a direct quote. <laughs> so I'm already forewarned before all this happens. And Elder was so sweet about it. And he took me to dinner. If you've ever watched a church-produced movie, there's a good chance you've experienced the work of this week's guest. Merrill Jensen is a composer, conductor, and arranger for film and television. His work for the church includes creating content for long-form films such as Legacy, The Testaments, and Joseph Smith, Prophet of the Restoration, as well as many classic short films that we've covered in our Latter-day Saint Video Vault column, such as The Mailbox, The Phone Call, and How Rare a Possession. Merrill has also composed music for a number of pageants and albums, including the Manti Miracle pageant, uh, a calling for which he informs us he's never actually been released, so get on that Salt Lake, uh, and collaborations with Michael McLean, such as The Garden and The Forgotten Carols. So in this episode, we'll learn about the storied career of one of the Latter-day Saint community's most prolific artists, as well as important lessons he's learned throughout his professional life, such as the line between personal revelation and revelation for the church when working on church-produced projects, or the roles of spiritual inspiration versus artistic inspiration, and exercising the faith necessary to follow the Spirit instead of what other plans you might have. But before we get to that, I'd like to remind you all once more to, of course, support us on Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash This Week in Mormons. Patrons on Patreon, for example, are going to receive an extended cut of this very episode. That's right, exclusive just to them. Fancy that. Folks, it's the first time I've done anything worthwhile for any of you. Thank you very much to our Patreon supporters. We can't do this show without you. Uh, and of course, follow us on Facebook and on Twitter and on Instagram. And join us at thisweekinmormons.com where you can follow the latest of Latter-day Saint news and uplifting and funny blogs and other content. Also, of course, if you have not left us a review on iTunes, we really encourage you to do that. Sorry, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, whatever we're calling it these days. Wherever you get your podcast, please leave us a review. That would be absolutely excellent, especially as right now we are snowballing our way to episode 500. And speaking of episode 500, if I can, of course, ask one more thing of you, dear listeners. If you would be so kind as to go to thisweekinmormons.com, click on the link in the menu that says, Hear Yourself on Twim, and then leave us a testimonial about This Week in Mormons. We're trying to, to collect a number of these and potentially play them on our 500th episode or use them for really anything we want. That would be awesome. Really love you guys. Thank you so much for uh, all the great things you do. So anyways, now that that's out of the way, join us. I'm Jeff Openshaw, and I'm joined this week by Jared Jones, the author of our Latter-day Saint Video Vault column, and we are thrilled to bring into the twin NATO, Merrill Jensen. Merrill, how you doing? Oh, there's the red, red uh, light is on. Okay. Merrill Jensen, you are correct. The red light is on. Welcome to This Week in Mormons. How you doing? Hey, great. How are you guys doing? I'm super. Jared, how are you doing? I am well. It's nice to nice to be with you. 
Yeah, it's good to have everybody here. I'm stoked for this. I love it when we get to talk about music. I mean, we talk about a lot of things on the show, but music is very near and dear to my heart. Um, and to have someone of your esteem, Meryl, you're kind of, I mean, you're you're a you're kind of a legend in this space when it comes to you created the the background feelings and music, all that we hear in so many classic Latter-day Saint films uh, that people might not even be, you know, aware of. And I mean, like we mentioned earlier on, I mean, you know, the mailbox, the phone call, how rare a possession, the very first first vision video, Joseph Smith, prophet of the restoration. I mean, you've had a pretty storied career, so we're very excited to have you here. Well, thank you. My uh, one of my golfing buddies calls, tells me that I'm a legend in my own mind. (laughs) (laughs) If if this interview is going to have this level of temple worker humor, I'm Uh, excited. Yes, exactly. (laughs) So for those of you, our listeners who don't know you, they might hear the name Meryl Jensen and have an idea in their head. Can, can you tell us about yourself? Who are you? What's your background? And uh, what got you started in, in music, but in particular music for church videos or church films? Yeah, I, I, since most of the church films do not have credits, you have to search out who did the music and find out that, uh, that, that I've done it. Uh, that, that's one of the toughest things, I think, and probably the only negative thing about, and it's really not a negative about church, church, church. Alms may be in secret. Yeah. 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 You, you, you don't, you don't get a, a, a big credit in there, but, uh, the rewards in other ways are absolutely incredible. Uh, I just thinking back on everything I I've done, uh, and I'll go back and tell you, but for me, the opportunity to rub shoulders with, the, the elite of the church has been a, a blessing and it's a humbling that I've been able to visit with the apostles. And, uh, and I even had, uh, in one occasion, a performance of a thing I wrote that President Hinckley at the time spent time with me, tell me how much he enjoyed the music. And in fact, there was another film, uh, the, te- uh, the uh, legacy, sorry, the legacy that uh, yeah, yeah. that uh, I I happened to actually run into the all the quorum of the twelve in the first presidency as they were outstanding in front of the administration building and I walked past and Elder Oaks who's a friend of mine hollered at me Merrill and I <laughs> I look around you know like I'm trying to be very quiet and and just pass as I'm walking on the sidewalk, just pass them without any irreverent, you know, or any, any thoughts of anything. (laughs) And he calls me up and, uh, and, uh, he then brought me over to president Hinckley, who was then of course alive in the president of the church and, and said, this is my friend Merrill. And he wrote the music to the, the, uh, the legacy score. And president Hinckley said, as he shook my hand and put his arm on my shoulder and kind of hugged me, he said, that music was the spirit of the film and it blesses the film every time somebody watches it. So I was, <laughs> uh, and then, then his secretary at the time, who was also a friend of mine, reminded me later uh, that I had an endorsement from the prophet. So uh, I should, remember that in all I do. The reason he said that, I think, is is because we, as composers, are extremely uh, insecure. And I wasn't quite sure at the time if the music was any good. 
<laughs> so I had I had to have a prophet tell me that it was good, uh, and that spurred me on to do other things. So I know that's a little aside. But how, how I got started, I actually uh, was in a music group on my mission in Norway. My mother's born and reared there, and my dad served a mission there. So I had family and so on all over there. But I we were in a music group that performed. We were called the Mormon Airs. And I bought a recording system to uh, enhance, you know, uh, do a, re, we could record our performances. We could uh, run it through an amplifier and, and the audience could hear us and so on. And I loved that. And I took it home with me. And when I got back to BYU, I was playing trumpet in, a, in the orchestra and the conductor was taking directions from the recording uh, group that was actually recording the performance we were, we were at. And I was so intrigued, I followed the guys back up stairs to their recording studio in E366 and watched them and loved it and ended up getting a job there and uh, working as a recording engineer. One of my one of my assignments was to work at the the school's motion picture studio where they made industrial films and and church films and my job was to pick needle drop music that's back when albums record albums were the 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 thing and they called them needle drops meaning the needle drops down onto the record onto the vinyl and that is a fee that we had to pay the record company for and uh, I would pull music from the libraries, vast libraries, and use them as background music for the films. One of the films th that came was a Native American film, and I couldn't find any music that fit it. So I ended up writing it, not knowing that was any particular talent. I was a music major. I had uh, an, uh, declared that I was a theory major. Uh, and so I liked at least theory of music, how how chords worked, and how things how things happened inside the orchestra, and uh, that that was an interest for me. So it was easy for me to co compose something, and it was like wildfire. Suddenly, everybody loved what I'd written. Then there was another film that that came. Uh, it was a film on why hospital bills cost so much. And I wrote that music. And then next thing you know. Well, some what, things never change, what, I guess. What type of music goes with hospital billing? What? Well, well, Don, <laughs> the, the actor Don Knotts was the star. Oh, good. And uh, okay. it was a okay. thing. And on TV, there was a, a Rockford file was the big uh, theme that those days. And it had kind of a synthesizer uh uh sound and so we had a brand new uh computer well it wasn't a computer it was really just a synthesizer uh, uh is an is an oh my word a 2600 that oh it, it's ancient it's just ancient you had to you had to create every waveform but i ended up writing the music for it and it was crazy because this was like years before anybody ever thought about sitting in a recording studio and manipulating their 
to their computer equipment. I was literally doing that. That would be, the year would be 1975. So, if anybody has an interest, that's how early that this was. And I was doing that, mainly because I didn't have an orchestra. <laughs> and then the next film was The First Vision. And uh, that was a, a miracle for me to be able to get that music and, uh, and that, or, or to write that soundtrack. And the miracle was in, in it was something I really almost felt. Well, I didn't almost. I knew that that miracle came from a divine source that allowed me the opportunity to write the music. Uh, I had never synchronized music to film before, and film, of course, you know, has a structure to it. it has so many frames per second, and so many feet per minute, whatever, back in the film days. And uh, through an extraordinary event, I was able to score that music. That soundtrack then became my audition tape for my first feature film. I, I uh, was in recording studios now at BYU, and there was a very famous director who membered the church who just won an Academy Award for the movie Great American Cowboy, Keith Merrill. He was doing a sequel called Great American Indian, and he was looking for some Native Americans to write a theme song for it. He already had the composer lined up to score the film. And uh, I was there as a recording engineer, and there were groups that came in and wanted, wanted to record their music, and I helped them record and produce their songs. And uh, one of them I made friends with, and as he sent his tape to Keith Merrill, he said, why don't you submit your tape? And so I had a cassette back in the cassette days of the first vision. And Mr. You make a big mistake on my bill and, uh, the, and the, the Native American film and sent that tape to Keith. And uh, one day I got a call from Keith, Keith's secretary and says, he would like to meet with you. Uh, will you uh, be available? He's going to be in the university mall at eight o'clock at night or something. Can you meet him? And I met him. I went down and met him and he told me the story. He said, we were playing all this music. And uh, for some reason, your music came up about the time my wife, Downey, came in the room and she said, that music is really good. Who wrote that music? And they looked at the tape and it was me. So in that parking lot, he said, I not only want you to write the theme song, but I want you to score the whole film. So that event would have never happened had I not actually had the opportunity to write the music to the first vision, which came because uh, of a, a, a wonderful thing. Actually, there's another composer hired to write the music for that film, and they paid him off and hired me to do it. This, this, <laughs> this film now, this is uh, the Great American Great American Indian. They had hired a composer, a famous composer, to score the music of that film. Keith was so enamored with my 
unconventional style, he called it. Uh, I didn't sound like a Hollywood composer. Well, duh, I hadn't. <laughs> That's all the music I'd ever composed in my life. I didn't, didn't have a chance to really hone my craft. He said, and so they then paid off that composer, that Hollywood composer, and hired me to score the film. And the next thing I know, I'm in London conducting the London National Philharmonic, playing my music. I'd never conducted an orchestra in my life. There I was standing in front of a major world-famous orchestra performing my music, and they were all listening to me. It was amazing. People, they took an interest in what I had to say. And I formed a love, love uh, fest with that orchestra for about 20 years in, in productions. But that's kind of how it started in the business. Well, I, I guess what I'm saying is I, I, I was in fear of failure, but I had, I had such a uh, – my personality is one of, of just going and doing it. Uh, I, I figured out how to synchronize music to film, how to do it in the right way, and then I l listened a lot. Uh, I should back up and say – my training did come in in L.A. I, I became acquainted with a, a recording engineer that actually was John Williams' recording engineer. He This guy won a Grammy for Jaws and others. And, and the engineer took me under his wings and, and taught me in a very forceful way how to score music for film. And what I mean by that very forceful way is he says, never use brass under dialogue. And, and 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 never have a fast tempo under you know things like that. And a year later, I came back to him with my first feature under my belt, and he mixed it for me and mixed it down. And and uh, that that is another person that I hold hold in high esteem. He gave me his view of what a film composer should be, and uh, and he he trusted. That I would do it, and I trusted that he was saying everything the correct way. So a year later, I came back with my first feature, and this big, crusty Hollywood engineer cried. It was really amazing to see. Actually, it tears in his eyes. He was a big guy, had a big goatee and a bald head, and and uh, would would dominate me physically <laughs> when he lectured to me. I was almost want to run. He was so adamant and telling me everything just exactly so. But I listened to every word he said and and uh, tried to copy all those things. Well, Merrill, you your your range of what you've composed is is so like you have a great breadth. You know, you think of like the the bouncing bassoon from the phone call. You have kind of the that's everyone's. Favorite. It's amazing. I My know. wife's favorite, and and it, also even the, even to this day, people call me and say, "Can I get a copy of that?" <laughs> And then you have like the grand sweeping music that is in How Rare a Possession, another great, you know, film. I, I guess what I wanted to ask is like you have inspiration, there's artistic inspiration, there's spiritual inspiration. Are they all the same for you? Do you get inspiration from different sources? How do you look at inspiration as you approach a project and decide, well, well, how am I going to do this? That is a great question, and I've never been asked that. So Here's my chance. Um, I, I think that creative inspiration and spiritual inspiration are separate. And here's an example just to give you an idea. 
uh, years, year, some years ago, we brought in uh, a very famous Norwegian vocalist. Her name is Sissel. And uh, she performed with the Tabernacle Choir and the Orchestra of Temple Square. And I was blessed to be able to conduct that uh, music and the spoken word and the, and the concert that followed. She was completely overwhelmed by the, the choir and the performance and all of that. And uh, from a creative standpoint, she was brought to tears as we said goodbye to her at the end of the concert. But that didn't affect her spiritualness, and she never joined the church. The same with actors that we did. For example, the actors in the Testaments that I met, they were incredible actors, but what they were performing didn't bring them to a spiritual testimony. So back to me specifically, uh, I, I was born by nature with an incredible testimony of the gospel. My parents were extremely faithful and active in the church, and I, I just grew up with with that. And I gained my own testimony of the gospel as a missionary, and uh, that was so profound. The times that it occurred to me this this thing I was teaching was was true and everlasting and eternal that it stays with me and it reminds me. And and events that I've had after that time still remind me, but I always go back to that original source. Now, creatively, I I have always loved music. I I grew up with music. Uh, my mother was a musician, and my father was a musician actually, and so I grew up with music, and it touched me deeply. Uh, I found that that I would I was drawn to music. I also wanted to play NF football in the NFL, but <clears throat> I wasn't big enough to do that. So the second thing I wanted to do was be a famous composer. And uh, uh, so that drove me from, from an early age. And, and so I have a, a, a really a gift from God to be able to orchestrate, to be able to hear an orchestra and, uh, and know what it's going to sound like as I sit there. And I, I've actually, I was a scoutmaster at one time in my life, and and I'd be involved in projects. I would sit and wait as the kids are out doing their their thing. I would sit with a a, a score paper and a and a sketch, and literally orchestrate out in the mountains, watching the kids do their thing. And I didn't need a piano to be able to sort of write it down. So when it came to film work, all I it was just it, it, it just all made sense. Now the church films, and that's where I really started out with, is our films that were the BYU films that I talked about. Uh, they were all films to change people's lives to make them do better, and so it had a spiritual nature to it, even if it wasn't religious. Uh, and I I connected that as part of what my testimony felt like. So I would use my testimony as a feeling, and then I'd use my artistic uh, creativity to be able to interpret that feeling into some kind of musical sounds. You see what I mean? The, the, two, the two most important things in my life were my testimony of the gospel and the feeling of, of, of prayer and the feeling of 
inspiration and revelation. And then that feeling of understanding music and being able to interpret my feelings into a musical sound. And, uh, and so it just, it just, it, it, it just meant that I need to be a film composer. And so when I look back at those earlier experiences where the first vision sort of just came to be for me, uh, and the first feature film sort of just happened, uh, it's not like it was a plain miracle. I mean, cream has to come to the top and I think people recognize my talents, but I didn't have to work at it and fret over it and so on. It just sort of came. I mean, I, I, suddenly I went from writing a couple little ditties to all of these feature films that came to me and I was busy. I'd been in London four times a year recording with the, with the national Philharmonic. And that was a blessing. Now I have mm-hmm. a weakness. I have one weakness. I can't write lyrics worth a darn. <laughs> so, yeah, a lot of the songs I've written have other lyricists. I wish I could do that. I have a friend, Michael McLean, who I, I've written a lot of arrangements for him. He can write songs coming out of his sleep. I mean, they just come, but he can't orchestrate them. And uh, when we met years later and started doing projects together, I could make his little song, not little song, the great songs, make his great songs alive through orchestration anyway back to, so that's 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 kind of my career that's kind of how i started it was an unusual way and it happened very quickly and by i think 29 i think i was age 29 when i was uh, first or 28 or something so somewhere in there i, was, I still hadn't graduated from byu i quit taking classes because i was so busy writing movies that i dropped out of school <laughs> <laughs> just like bill gates yeah, it, was, it was terrible in fact byu came to me years later and asked me if i would teach at byu and i says don't you have to have a degree and he says yeah you can get one while you're while you're you know <laughs> working for us and i said no i mean like a bachelor's degree oh you don't have that and i says no i'm only a sophomore i think or or junior, I'm not sure. And, and then they directed you to the pathway program. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And... No, I had a great department chairman that said, with everything you've written so far, you have written all the requirements it takes for your composition. So we will, uh, we will, if you'll change your major to composition, now they had that degree, we will waive all your composition requirements. And uh, so you need some humanities. Here, go talk to the chairman of the, the the theater and arts department. And I talked to him and he says, how many credits do you want? <laughs> I says, I need 16. He says, okay. Merrill, I think you're outing corruption at BYU right now. That's what, that's what I'm hearing. Right that's now. right. He, he was a man before his time. He, he just had to wait for the right degree program to come uh, along. It was, that was true. It was true. He, he says, do you want an A? And I says, no, just give me a pass. I was be grateful for just for getting it so that's how that's how i got my Amazing. degree i have a degree in film or in music composition at byu i've never taken a class in it so i mean I'm, how, how so how old were you when you finally got your degree uh that was in 79 i started at byu in 65 the end of 65 so you were in your that was in my, my 30s, my 30s yeah and, and guess what, guys? 
my mother, of all the things I had ever done, and I'd take her to premieres and I would show her different things. She said, will I ever live to see the day that you graduate from a college? <laughs> and so I finally got my degree. I says, here, mother, here's my degree. Will you accept me now? And <laughs> she's so wonderful, dear. It's very wonderful. She had a Norwegian accent. And she said, I'm so thrilled for you. You finally measured up to... No, I don't know. She was happy. <laughs> so my film career started out. And like I said, I was busy. I, I got a lot of opportunities to score films. And one of the films that came my way was a film called Windwalker. That film got some notoriety for the music. Hollywood Reporter talked about it being worthy of an Academy Award. The other news agencies uh, talked about it as being a new sort of a new sound in the film composition area of Hollywood. The film ended up not qualifying for an Academy Award. The, all the dialogue was written or done, spoken in Cheyenne and Crow. And they considered that a foreign film, and it didn't then merit for an Academy Award. <laughs> so anyway, th that, but it was a pleasure to be able to be considered, and I had lots of opportunities after that for feature films and so on. But just at that moment, as I reached this place, uh, Bonneville Communications, who was the advertising arm of the church, asked me to come and go to work for them and work on Bonneville-produced films and other recordings. Now I'm meeting with, I, I have met with some really influential people in the business, and I'm asked now to close that door and go to Salt Lake City and, and work on, on, on uh, Bonneville production. Uh, one of the things they wanted me to do is write music for these uh, home front spots, a lot of the commercials. And you know what, guys? I didn't think a second about it. I went right there even though I knew that my career in Hollywood would probably take a big decline, I knew that I had to go there and do that. So uh, I ended up doing that. Well, now I meet Mike McLean, and uh, he was one of the producers and writers of the, of the Homefront Spots. He wrote a, a, a commercial spot for one of these films. It was called you're not alone. Da, 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 da. I can't even sing it. And I, and I orchestrated that, and that took off and really built his career. And so we agreed to do things together. Uh, I guess over the years we did, we did a, 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 a thing called Forgotten Carols. I orchestrated all the music for Forgotten Carols. We did another project called The Garden. It's an allegory on the atonement. Uh, through, with through inanimate objects uh, being sort of the players of the atonement, God, Satan, <laughs> Satan, Savior. The, the garden was sort of that. Uh, sorry, that was kind of the musical that never got staged, basically. In essence, right? Wasn't no, it written to be a musical? No, but it was never. Actually no, actually, we on. wrote it as an oratorio. 
we imagine we imagine okay. a, a, a live orchestra sitting in a concert hall with six soloists standing in front of the orchestra and me conducting it and a choir and behind later a guy who was a member of the church who worked for disney and sort of manufactured uh where where flowers would wiggle and 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 they'd become alive and he'd sing and and he he created all these things for disney that that moved and he he got this great great idea to sort of create the the garden as a big concert with i guess inanimate audience maybe that's where that that is so that the when we would sing about a a a, a ram caught in a thicket that the thicket would wiggle and move and you know and and the uh, ram would be an actor standing in the thicket singing the song and the millstone and the seedling and all of that but it, it never happened and we kept doing it as a stage production or and uh and then other other companies or other war other stakes around would perform it and and I was invited several times to go to other places and actually conduct the concert with their stake performers. And uh, it was a thrill. It was wonderful to go there. And again, this is a chance to be able to, I mean, I felt inspired orchestrating the music. And now this is a chance to see how it re re relates to others and how their reactions are and how they, you know, I mean, when you see the singers so emotional, if you're standing there conducting them, and they're so emotional, they're feeling it, the actors are really into it, uh, it, it transforms you emotionally into this other place that's really quite thrilling. And, uh, and you know, it's worth all the rehearsals. It's worth, worth all the tears and frustrations to, do, to see a performance that's so wonderful and touching. So. Yeah. So, yeah, that was a that was a fabulous uh, project. I imagine uh, one thing I'm curious about, this is more to sort of back end. Um, it, as far as if you're doing church productions, church, you know, fan, financed, produced productions or other works, is the like the oversight any different? Does it differ in any way in terms of the people kind of like I, I could in my mind, I see church productions. You know, they have a particular audience, of course. The church is trying to do a certain thing. I just don't know how much of a leash they give the creatives, so to speak, uh, or if you have somebody kind of checking in with you quite a bit to make sure that you're not veering too far one way or the other. And if that's any different compared to how it might be if you're just doing, you know. Wow. Now, that is an incredible question. Again, it's never been asked me. Uh, well, it may be in firesides, but never into something like this. And it might it might be a shock to the audience to hear what I'm about to say. Uh, as in, com in the commercial business, the commercial films I've done, uh, I have a certain amount of input that I'm, I receive from the director, uh, sometimes from the, from the producer. And, uh, uh, but pretty much given my, my freedom, and my opportunity to create the way I want. Uh, I talked about Keith Merrill. Uh, Keith, on these commercial projects, member of the church, really just completely trusted me to score the music the way 
he wanted me there the way I wanted it to be. He didn't give me a lot of input, and uh, that and uh, church members will be able to see that in the the legacy soundtrack and the music. And then the second one was the Testaments of One Fold and One Sep Shepherd. And now I'm about to tell you the difference. This, Keith and I had a wonderful agreement. We just sort of connected a, a director and a composer, and we just read each other's thoughts. And on the, on the films that we had done together, it was just wonderful, wonderful uh, collaboration. On this film, The Testaments, there was an element that was distracting in a way, and I need to I need to figure out how to say this in a way that that is truthful, but not I don't want it to sound um, any other way than my intentions. Anyway, Merrill, is this because you you believe in the Great Lakes theory and it was uncomfortable? doing it for mesomerica i'm just kidding well, okay all right uh, 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 let's let's i think it's better if i just try to not to be we know, so serious about it and say it we I know kid, I kid, I kid, yeah. just okay, go ahead good, and say good, it. We, good. we got it all right so <clears throat> this particular film was the creation of president hinckley and he was was very concerned that this film was done the right way. In fact, um, I got to know President Faust very closely in this film, and he expressed to me, even before I started writing the music, how important this film was to the LDS community. And it, he, he felt like that the film was produced more for the LDS community than it was for the non-member that would see it. And because we would gain a, a greater appreciation of the Savior and His mission, and uh, and and I felt that very strongly. Although Keith Merrill was very satisfied and, and happy with anything I sort of composed, uh, because we were in a in a the same wavelength, the the church was very concerned about the film and. Uh, in fact, they were very concerned about the music. I'll back up. This, this would be good to know it this way. So be, as the film was being shot, I had no thought that I would ever be asked to write the music to this film. I thought, knowing how the church is, they're going to spread the wealth around, and they'll ask somebody else to do it. And uh, I went on with my life in a very nice way, and one day I got a call from the producer and a church employee and he says Merrill uh, we need to talk to you about a, a very important film that we're doing could you come up to the church office building and we could talk about it and I, as I said okay I will and I came up and he says we have as you know we're working on this film the testaments it's getting a lot of uh, a lot of publicity right now and we are we would like to ask you to write the music it's sort of just like that, you know, just like no big thing. And I said, "Are you kidding me? I, I, I didn't ever think you'd ask." And and we'd like you to, to do it. So I, I I I was asked to to write the music to it. And could you come to the motion picture studio 
and look at the film and and uh, see what we're doing. They were in the middle of editing, and it was probably a two-hour film when I saw it the first time, and so it had a lot of a lot of uh, footage that had been cut out. And I I looked at the film, and I I can tell you, it just totally encompassed my emotion and took me in. And I knew that I had to write the music for that film. It was amazing. Before I walked into the studio, I was completely ready to say, nah, you can ask somebody else. I'm okay. I can live beyond this day. But when I saw the film, I knew that I had to, even if it was meant blood on the floor, I had to do it. And uh, so we we, we uh, agreed a timeline to do it. And uh, he said, while it's still editing, give me a theme song, a, a Savior's theme song that, that we can kind of work with. And would you mind doing that? And I said, sure. So I said, I'll have a couple things in a, in a day or so. Why don't you come, come down to my studio and, and I'll play them for you. So I wrote, I, I mean, this is the Savior. This is the Savior of the world. And I wanted to write the most epic music man had ever heard. Lawrence Arabia on steroids. And I wrote a couple of things that I thought would work. And he came in and listened to them. And he says, you know, they're not quite right. What, why don't you go write some more? And I said, could you give me some idea of what you want? Well, I trust you. I, I know that you can do it. Uh, and I says, okay, I get what you mean. I, they don't feel that right. You know, you write something that's, that's really close to you. And then you have another human being come in to your room and listen to it, you start listening to it through his ears and it's not, and I could realize it wasn't that good. Okay. I can write better. So come back in a couple of days and I'll write you some more. So I mocked up and I wrote two or three more and played it. He came in and says, no, that's not quite it. I says, I get it. Yeah. I, I really am going the wrong direction. So come back in a couple of days and I write some more. This went on for two weeks. And he did say, I think, the Linnea theme, the love theme, this one melody right here could work for that. I said, okay. Well, he left. He left and went up to Salt Lake. I live in Pro. And I called him on the phone. And I said, you know what, Gary? I'm not the right composer for this. I am. My well is empty. I have no more ideas. I said, it's okay with you. I wanted you ask somebody else to do it. That was a shock to me for even saying it because uh, I have an ego. You know, I want to do it. But I was completely wiped out. He says, now don't get too uh, worried about it. Let's just give it some more time, and I'll come back in a week or so, and let's talk about it. So I went to bed all depressed that night. Woke up the next morning thinking that my career as a composer was over. I, I'm not very dramatic, but. In this case, I was dramatic. And uh, I said, I know, I know. I, I, and I, I went to the piano and started playing the piano. And I thought, do I, can I even conceive of anything? Can I create? Usually I can come up with half a dozen little thematic ideas, you know, at a, at a moment. But I couldn't come up with anything. And finally I was fiddling around and, and uh, doing different things. And my sweet, wonderful wife, Betsy, came into the room and said, Meryl, that's beautiful. Is that the theme, the Savior's theme? I was playing this little thing. 
And I said, no, no, I, maybe I could write it for the ward choir. I, you know, I, I used to be the ward choir director, so maybe I could submit a piece for the choir to sing. And this would work for that. But no. And she said, well, why don't you think of it in terms of the Savior's theme? And this eternal pride of mine touched my heart and had me think about it and look at it a different way. Up until that time, all my themes were written in this glorious, pompous way, this triumphant way of the, of the Savior entering the Jerusalem, and palms, and, you know, and all this stuff. And this little theme that I had written, that she said, that might be the Savior's theme, was a little simple hymn. And I got thinking, I thought, you're right. That's exactly what the Savior is to me. He is something inward, something sweet, something tender, something that is personal and not big and forget all of that other stuff. And so and this I, was this was the theme basically that um the Alleluia's at the end of the movie where Christ appears at the temple in Bountiful. This is the theme you're talking about for those that are that, that's exactly right. Okay. For those that may not be as familiar with the film. Yeah. And uh, as I began to think about it, I, I grabbed some sheet music and write, wrote down little ideas. And I had, I don't know, three or four little sheets that, that I had written. And, uh, and, but this little melody just came straight through. And as I, as I picked up the papers and started to head to my studio, I heard this choir singing. And it sang, Alleluia, 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 Alleluia. And, and I'm going, whoa, where's that? And I listened to my what I just sung, and I thought, this is in 3-4, and it's in the different key. I, the theme I started writing was in the key of E flat. And this was in the key of D. What am I doing? There's the, the you know. Anyway, I wrote it down just so that I could remember it. And then I went into the studio. And I wound the tape to the scene where Christ comes down in a pillar of light. And it, that scene spoke to me so poignantly. And one of the scenes is as the Savior walks through the crowd, there's a woman that completely believes this is the Savior and takes it and, and takes his hand and kisses it. And I felt that was a particular poignant part of the scene. So I wound the tape to the Savior coming down the pillar of light. And at the point where I thought the music should start, I just started in my mind singing what I had just written. And it just fit perfectly. I was astounded by how beautiful it was and what it made me feel at the time. I just felt so much love for the Savior at that moment. And then the theme started to run out. And just as the woman takes his hand and kisses it, the music in my mind goes to Alleluia, Alleluia, that Alleluia I had just written in my mind. And it fit perfectly. And as the scene ran, the Alleluia's finally ended, and the scene ended. I not only, it, not only did that work, the timing was perfect. It wasn't too long. It wasn't too short. It was exactly the right time. I had, I had just written the Savior's theme. 
Now, how does that work? Well, I don't know. I don't know. Was I inspired? Was it just hard work? Was it a was it desperation? It was something. It was something wonderful, because it 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 it, it fit. It all worked, and it timed out perfectly. I didn't have to make any adjustments. I didn't have to shorten it or lengthen it to fit the scene. It fit the scene perfectly. Now, that doesn't always happen in even church productions. I've always said that church productions are like any other productions. It's just a lot of hard work. But in this case, there was truly inspiration that came. And it was marvelous. Of the three films you've scored that have played in the Legacy Theater, which is Legacy, The Testaments, which we've been talking about, and Joseph Smith, Prophet of the Restoration, of those three, do you have a favorite score that you've composed? Well, I think I think because uh, of a question you asked earlier, how much to, how much other distraction, let's say, where was there in the creating of this soundtrack to the to the testaments. I received a lot of help from brethren who were uh, uh, in a leadership position who wanted to influence me in some way or another. Uh, I, I think that this film is the greatest film of the three and might be one of my favorite scores ever. Because um, of all the distractions I received, all I mean, I've got to see at this point, I have a producer who wants a certain sound, the director who really trusts me to do anything, uh, a general authority now who wants to make sure he, he, he was hoping I would do it a certain way. He wanted to make sure I had hymns hymns of the restoration in the film and so i had a lot of input and yet i had incredible inspiration personally that that sort of was different than all the other input that i had from other human beings as if as if my greatest input was from another source another dimension and I, I, I kind of sorted through all of my helpers, earthly helpers, and tried to write what, what this divine helper uh, was helping me to do. And so I had a lot of confidence that I was doing the right thing, even though uh, I, it, um, it, it, even though. Well, okay, I'll just say it. Even though the the, the head of the head of the head of the the executive producer, who I love dearly as a human being, and to this day I would do anything for him, he was in charge of the executive production of the of the thing, and he wanted hymns. He wanted me to put hymns in it, and basically I said no, <laughs> and. And uh, I did put hymns in. I, put, I actually put six hymns, thematic ideas, in the soundtrack to appease him. So I, I could honestly say, yes, I had done what you said. So, like, for example, there's a little scene with the Savior 
and I put in this melody. Da 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 on oboe, and that's it. That's all you get. But you, that I can honestly say that 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 hymn, our our sacrament hymns, is in the movie, and I did six of them like that. But I felt really inspired. Not, not just, you know. You asked a question earlier. How do you? What's the difference between inspiration, creative inspiration, and spiritual inspiration? I've always knew. I've always worked on the creative inspiration as a composer, but I learned a lot this time because I had spiritual inspiration also helping me. It was a moment in my career where I realized that I was in the right place writing music. Uh, prior to that, I told you earlier that I that I left the Hollywood scene to after the uh, Wind Walker film to go write homefront spots for the church. Uh, there was still a part of me that thought I'd made a mistake. There's still part of me that said I should have been there. I'm doing it. I would meet people later on who had heard my music to tell me that you, you, your music sounds as good as ABC or ABBDD or whatever, and and you should be doing those films. And I would go, oh, yeah, no, I know I should be in the right place here in in Utah. But part of me would always say, eh. but when I finished the Testaments, I knew that I was. In the right place, and it was almost like it was a personal blessing to me to say, "Well done, Elder Anderson." Elder Anderson was that general authority who was wanting me to write hymns, and he was a seventy at that time over the uh, production arm of the church, and uh, and he really leaned on me hard <laughs> to to write music the way he wanted it written. But he, he, he was really involved in in uh, the direction of the, the shooting of the film. And there was a terrific arg- argument with him and the director, Keith. And Keith said, that, well, basically what Eller Anderson would do, that he didn't understand production. So when Keith would rehearse the actors on a particular scene and then step back to let the camera shoot it, Eller Anderson would step forward and tell the actors to, to emote some sort of emotion <laughs> or say it in a certain way that was contrary to what Keith wanted him to do. And and Keith had asked him not to do that. He would still do it. And Elder Anderson, because he thought it was his film, and Keith said, it's my film. He says, get off my film. <laughs> he told him to get off the location, go away. So when it came time for me to write the music, Keith said, if Elder Anderson calls you, you are not to listen to anything he tells you to do. If you do, I will break your legs. <laughs> That's a direct quote. <laughs> so I'm already forewarned before all this happens. And Elder Anderson was so sweet about it. And he took me to dinner. <laughs> <laughs> the marvelous part of this story is that he never bugged me. I knew his intent 
I knew what his heart was. He just didn't understand the film process. So, as after I had written the theme song to the movie and written some little musical ideas, before the film was all edited, Elder President, President Faust called me into his office to report on what I was doing. When I played the music for President Faust, Elder Anderson's sitting in the background watching what's going on. And Elder An mm -hmm. and President Faust asked me if I was using any hymns in it. And I said, no, not really. Uh, I, I said, if we use hymns, it will be like a neon sign pointing down at the Savior as he comes down the pillar of light. And he's going to say, this is, in case you don't get it, viewers, this is the Savior. Because we're singing, this is the Christ. President Faust actually wrote a hymn called This is the Christ. I've sung it before. It's great. <clears throat> yeah, it's beautiful. And by the way, it's the music when you walk out of, of, of the film and the theater. But anyway, President Faust looked at me and he said, that is right. He said, since the Savior has chosen you to write the music, far be it for me to tell you what to write. Delegation. Definitely. There we go. Uh, yeah. And so, and, and President Elder, Elder Anderson said, after the meeting, he says, okay. He says, go write it the way you, you feel it. <laughs> but that's why you asked me earlier, which film was it that, that was the most important? This film was. Because not only did I write really wonderful music, I I was finally told that I was doing the right thing. And I was told by an apostle that the Savior had chosen me to write it. Um, that's really impactful. And uh, I wanted to make sure, I hadn't written but a few minutes of music by that time. And I wanted to make sure that the music was good if the Savior thought it was good. It better be good. So I, I approach it on a different level, the, the whole writing of that film on a different level than I did the other films uh, to that point. And then, by the way, Elder Anderson and I were talking, and I said, now I know you want you to use This is the Christ in some way. How would it be if I wrote that as the walkout music after the film's over? And he looked at me, his eyes just lit up. He said. That's great. That's wonderful. That's where it should go. So that's that's why that music is at the end. I've seen Elder Anderson on occasion later, and I get big hugs. And he speaks with fondness of our experience together. That's pretty amazing. I, I'd like to pivot, if I can, Jared, as long as you're okay with this. Um, yeah, great. Pageants, real quick. I've never been to a pageant. I'm familiar with pageants. I know pageants are kind of on the outs at this point, but you've been involved in some of the Latter-day Saint pageants over the years. Can you um, just tell us about which pageants, uh, for which ones you have composed music, what, how that experience has been for them, and maybe even how you feel about pageants sort of going by the wayside now in the past couple of years? Well, that's, that's really an interesting question. That's kind of a surprise you'd ask that. I didn't know that you even knew that I'd written music for pageants well when uh, shortly after i scored the music to uh great american indian uh keith merrill was 
was invited to write to produce the uh, Oakland Temple pageant, and uh, he had a lot of creativity. And the music was kind of abstract and and and, and sort of didn't fit his 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 goal on on what he wanted to do. So he actually asked me to write uh, music, some music for it, and then arrange music for some of the other pieces that they've used in the past uh, by by the original composer and kind of enhance them, make them more orchestrally uh, sound and so on. So I did that. And then I wrote it for an orchestra, a live orchestra that, that performed it. And the, uh, they, it was an in, in, interior uh, concert hall. There's, they have a big meeting house next to the temple grounds, and it was performed there. So I wrote that music to that one. Um, the, the, the funny thing about that, I, this is really a, a, a funny thing. Uh, they invited me to come out and see the premiere. And uh, so I, I wasn't there for any rehearsals or anything, but I came for the premiere. And... As they introduced me, you know, everybody was thrilled to meet this composer. But somebody came up to me afterwards and says, are you really the composer? You look like a kid. You don't look like some composer, like what composers look like. You're young. You almost look like a missionary. You know, I was probably 30, and, and I have a young face to begin with. So, I, you know, it didn't look like it had all those miles on me, I guess. And, and that was just kind of funny. Uh, later, there's the Martin Harris pageant in Logan area, and and a friend of mine wrote the music, and he wrote it all on computer. He gave me the score and had me orchestrate it. The sounds I had in those days weren't that terrific, but I ended up flushing it all out, flushing out his composition and building a soundtrack, and that's what played every night. And uh, then there was uh, a pageant in uh, Mesa, Arizona, and they they uh, needed an additional scene about the Savior. I can't remember how it went, and some additional music. I think the church wanted them to rewrite it and put the Savior more as a prominent uh, part, and uh, so I scored that is about a I don't know, 12 minute scene or something and I scored that and uh, they inserted that in the pageant that was wonderful I gained a lot of friends down in Mesa through that experience it was it was a lot of fun and then during all of that the church put a committee together to write the new uh, Mormon miracle pageant in Manti and uh, they asked me to be the chairman of this committee and this committee included some highly creative people, uh, and we worked on writing a new script. I think we ended up writing about three scripts and presented that to the church. And so far, we haven't been released from that calling. <laughs> but nobody acted on it. It just, like, it disappeared. In the meantime, the church met with the temple people uh, in Manti and said that they need to have the Christ in America scene. That 
that uh, was a very difficult process for the Manti people because uh, they they didn't want to change the production in any way. It had been written by under inspiration and it had been produced under inspiration over the years. And now somebody's coming and telling them they have to change it. I had uh, I grew up in Richfield, just a just down the street from Manti, really. And my parents were temple workers at the Manti Temple, and were friends with the uh, Dyerings, who were the present Dyering was the was the state president, and they were very involved with the original conception of the pageant and and so the church was hoping i could soften them a little bit and get uh, get this new change put in and it was quite difficult actually but as as it progressed the church wrote a scene a nine minute christ in america scene that i scored and we inserted it into the pageant for one night only just to see how it would work and they loved it. And then the next year, uh, it was put in as a regular part of the show. And so, and that happened. And I must say, that was a really an inspirational time. That pageant was so, in so many ways, profound for the people who watched it. For us in in the creative areas, we thought it was has had a lot of weakness. Yet people just loved it. Their hearts were changed. A lot of them in it. So I tried to take that in mind and and help the church not be so hard on the Manti people uh, because I knew them. Uh, when we wrote the then as we were writing the new pageant, uh, we had an incredible experience. We went to the temple and went went through a session, uh, the creative group of us, and then as we left, we drove back to Provo and talked about what the pageant should be like. And we came up with the whole script on the way back. Now, the writer rolled it all out. She's a very famous church author. And uh, I wrote a few little cues for it, and we made a presentation and to the church, and nothing has ever happened by it. Uh, this is an example of inspiration for us personally, but not inspiration for the entire production. And sometimes we have to learn that that uh, we can do something that's highly creative and still be rejected. I don't know if ours was rejected, but it certainly wasn't used. And we had to learn to live with that, and we did. We were, we were all experienced in our various fields, and we lived with it. But every once in a while, someone will ask me, whatever happened to that script? <laughs> it's, not, it's not like we're completely away from it. But now the church has decided that we need to go a different direction and that uh, pageants are a, a thing of the past. And uh, we all say, okay, great. That's that's wonderful. Well, we've talked about um, your favorite like long form movie that you've done. I wondered if you had a favorite short film that you've done. We talked briefly about how everyone loves the phone call. Is there a sh whether you even even if you didn't do the music for it, but if you did do the music for it, even better. Is there a favorite short LDS film that you worked on that you just really enjoyed 
the music and or the movie? Well, um, I was just saying I'm bringing this up just because that's what I do a lot of. Uh, it's rare. It's rare that yeah. I write a, about a longer movie, but on the Latter-day Saint video vault column that we have, um, we really try, focus a lot on these shorter films that are like, you know, 15, 20 minutes at the most. And they have a lot of utility. And so the music, I'm surprised in many of them, how the music makes such a big difference, but definitely curious to see if you had a favorite shorter film that you've worked on a shorter project. Oh, okay. There's one. So I can't remember the title of this one now. There, there, the ch- church released uh, a small film using the same actor that played the Savior in the Testament. And it, it was a short oh, Are you thinking of Finding Faith Finding, in Christ? Thank you. Finding Faith in Christ. Finding Faith in Christ. Um, when they asked me to score that film, they knew that with it, they actually, for your information, shot both films at the same time. They just used a different camera. So they used a smaller camera on the Finding Faith in Christ, but used the same actors in the same scenes and so on. They had Doubting Thomas, you know, they had to they had to bring all of that into and shoot it a different way. But their concern was, the church was, and I mean this was like the church, <laughs> meaning, meaning someone above the director wanted to make sure that I could write different music, make it look, sound different than the testament score. So that it didn't sound like it was just a regurgitation of the testaments. And uh, that I really like that. I think the the opening scene where the Savior's on the boat with the with his disciples and he he calms the seas and so on. Uh, I think I did a pretty good job there. Um, the rest of the film, I'm not sure how good it was musically, but I did try to score it in a way that wasn't like the other. Now. My mind is flipping. I think maybe it is Finding Faith in Christ. No, sorry, Finding Faith in The uh, Nauvoo film. Remembering Nauvoo. It was called Remembering Nauvoo. And it was, an, it was, a, it was a film shot years ago. It was shot before the first vision, the, uh, the Kirtland film. It was shot years before that and uh, the director was also the producer on the testaments the same guy Gary Cook who asked me to write the themes various themes for the Savior on the testaments and they the church actually paid for more my way to go stay in Nauvoo for a, a week and just basically watch them shoot the film and just kind of get the environment down and one of the things that struck me about Nauvoo was the birds. There were birds all around, and they were different birds than I was used to in Utah. And they they were just so happy. And uh, so one day I went out with I didn't have a tape recorder. This is before cell phones, so I couldn't record it. I went out and tried to write down the sounds I heard from the birds. I mean, I just had a piece of paper and I wrote, wrote and I just kind of put a, made a music stage down and tried to write 
the notes down and to remember of these birds. And, and the film opens up with the Mississippi and it's showing the water lapping and everything. And I uh, incorporated these bird sounds with musical instruments as the water lapping and we showed the Mississippi. And I, and I, I just felt the, 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 the incredible feeling of Nauvoo. Uh, I, I would sit down by the, uh, one of the houses, the uh, house where they received the revelations. I can't remember what that's called. And I really thought I could hear in my mind's eye, hear the bustling and, and the uh, work of the frontiersmen as they came into Nauvoo, you know, a hundred and so odd years ago. I could almost feel like they were there. And it just gave me such a beautiful feeling. I love that place. Just absolutely love it. it it's, it's not like it's the village and their spirits going through it and haunting us or anything. They're just the spirits of the pioneers that are there. It's marvelous. And uh, Gary asked me to use one of Joseph Smith's favorite hymns as the thematic idea. But I took took that and uh, incorporated it. Oh, one of the BYU music professors found the original hymn tune to a poor wayfaring man of grief. It wasn't the hymn tune that they sing now. It's in the hymn book. It's another hymn tune. Mm-hmm. And uh, I incorporated that into the soundtrack. As well, that hymn goes, "A poor wayfaring man of grief." Da 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 da. da. And a guy named a professor named Michael Hicks at BYU uh, uh, found that hymn through, through historical references. John Taylor sang it and had somebody write it down, and that's how he found it. And I took that same idea. When I did the Testaments, using the hymn tunes of of the sacrament hymns on the Savior, as just little little moments that give you, I don't think many people can pick up on what that melody is for a second, because it only lasts for a few minutes, few seconds, maybe four bars, but it feels familiar. And I and I and that's I did that with the the Nauvoo film, and I tried to do it with the Testaments. To just bring that hymn to an end to give you a feeling of ah this feels this feels right this feels good this feels ah, I I like this kind of idea so I guess I guess that would be uh, Jared the older films I can't even remember <laughs> anymore except for the phone call <laughs> and uh, I that's the one to I, remember. Just, just that bassoon, and, and I, and I, Everyone. I don't try to remember it. Just people call me and ask me if they, they get a copy of the bassoon part, which I don't have. <laughs> <laughs> they remind me I did it. So before we go, um, Meryl, do you have any advice for those looking to get into the the um, music composition industry to uh, create music for films, in particular, especially Latter Day Saints? Well, I. If we talk about church uh, films, this is a very difficult subject, and it it should be considered with some open-mindedness. 
I can't tell you how many people have come to me and said, I have a testimony that I am to be writing music for the church productions. How can I get in? And that's an honest feeling. That's, that, that, you know, that, that deserves a pause. Um, there are so many people who have, who have talents, probably so many people that have greater talents than I do for scoring films. And they're probably good Latter-day Saints now. Some I'm aware of that are writing Hollywood-type films that are much better than I am. That either, for one reason or another, aren't writing church films, even though their testimony might say they should be there doing it. Um, it the scripture comes to mind, many are called but few are chosen. But to answer that question, not that, the, not that those who are not writing are not righteous. They're extremely righteous and have good intent. And I don't have the answer for how the Savior works. I don't know how inspiration happens. And I don't know why some people are asked to do certain things like the music. I have no idea how I was directed and guided and, and had that same feeling that many others have of, of writing music for church films. Uh, I just know that I got my chance. And I'm grateful for it. For the advice for everyone else who are younger and ready to go, there's so many ways now to write music uh, and to share that talent through the media. The media is, is expanded to beyond comprehension. And what's in the future, beyond anybody's comprehension, that could be used for good musically. I, I guess I guess ultimately now as I think back, my my opportunity to write the original first vision had to do with a demo, quote unquote, that I wrote. And here's how that went. I worked in this the recording studio, the sound light sound recording for the church, and the director came to me who was directing this new movie, The First Vision, and he asked me to put together a tape that would would have some mood music on it that would inspire the actors and everybody on location to uh, act better, perform their part better, I suppose. And so I put it together. And at, at the beginning of the tape, or someplace in the tape, I put an arrangement that I had written of the of Oh How Rare, uh, Oh How Lovely Was the Morning. And I had written it with basically a piano and a synthesizer, sustained strings, really is all it was. The director came back from location. They were shooting the, the film in New York, New York State. And he tells me this story. He said, it was raining. Every day it rained. We couldn't get many shots. And we were just frustrated because we couldn't get the kind of shots to the, to the exteriors that we wanted. And... On the day that we were all going to pack up and go back to Utah, we decided to go down to this field where Joseph Smith would run through the walk through the field and, and head towards the grove and pray. And he said, 
we shot it the first time, and it was raining and pouring, and the camera picked up actually could pick up the water. It was that the big the drops, so we didn't work. So we were just sitting there under a under a covering, and all of a sudden the clouds parted, and the sun shone down, and and actually shone through the the sun rays shone through the rain and put this creative mist and we had the actor just get up and walk down through the field and we filmed it he says as it happened your music to oh how little it is in the morning sequenced and played during that shooting and then he then we had him called him back and had him shoot it again walked down again we shot it we had the sound guy wind the tape back to the beginning of Oh, I Love Ladies in the Morning again. And he walked down through it. He said, that music is perfect, and I want that music on the film. Who wrote it? And I raised my hand. I says, I guess I did. And that's how I got my first church film. It happened just that way. Wow. And, and and so what you hear is that arrangement <laughs> as he as he walks down in on the film is is the arrangement I did as a demo. So I don't know how it happens. I think we should have good intent. We should have uh, we should have our heart in the right place. We should we should uh, live the gospel. We should be be profoundly uh, vigilant in keeping the commandments, and then let the Lord use us where he will and and be joyous about it. Well, I think that's good advice. And uh, I think we're going to have to wrap things up right there. Uh, Merrill, this has been really, really, really interesting talking to you. You've had such a fascinating career, and I love how much the Spirit has guided you and that you recognize the blessings that God has given you to share your talents with the world and how, how near and dear uh, that is to you. So we're we're extremely thankful you decided to sit down and uh, talk with uh, me and Jared about everything. Oh, I loved it. It was fun to go reminisce back. Well, if you're, you know, working on some new jingles or something and want to come promote them, we're, we're here for you. We're happy to do it. It'll be great. Yeah, I, I'm um, actually writing something now. Well, you're out of time. I won't better, better not talk about that. What, well, that's such a teaser. I mean, if it's interesting. <laughs> oh, shoot. Well, even for your ears. Over the years, I've, uh, well... But I don't know how many years ago now, when Joseph Smith's 200th birthday, I was commissioned to write a song cycle on Joseph Smith, and I chose uh, Liberty Jail. And uh, I've hung on to those songs that I wrote. It was performed in the, in the recital hall at BYU. I kept those, those themes and been adding things to it, and I decided to write a musical work on Liberty Jail. So I'm just finishing it up right now. I don't know what it's going to do. I don't know if anybody ever hear it, but but it's 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 talks about Joseph Smith and his struggles. You know, he he he, he sings, "Where art thou? Well, God, where art thou? Where's the pavilion that covereth thy hiding place?" And then the next piece, the angels sing back, "You know, well done, thou good and faithful servant," or whatever. So it's a whole thing, scriptural, mostly. Janice Cat Perry and I wrote one song together that's in it. 
and I might have her write one more. But it's a it's a work, and I have no idea what to do with it. It just possesses me and seizes me. And every day I go and tweak the orchestration. I'm locking it up, you know, so it can be performed. I don't know. I don't know what it's going to do, but I just think that's the most powerful example of Joseph Smith and his progression that I could imagine. So I'm working on it, it you know, until something says stop working on it, I'll just keep working on it. <laughs> Excellent. Great. Hey, Jared, thanks for being here this week, buddy. Happy to be here. I enjoyed it a lot. Appreciate you, buddy. Uh, we've had a delightful time talking to Merrill Jensen. I hope you've all learned a good thing or two about music and about how it can bless us and move us and draw us closer to the spirit. That's what it's all about. Uh, Merrill, once again, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you. Yeah, pleasure's ours. And of course, thank you to each and every one of you for tuning in, whether it's your first time or your 498th time. We're thrilled you are a part of the Twim family. It's very kind of all of you. Uh, That's going to do it for this week. Once again, please, of course, Leave us those messages on the website, thisweekinmormons.com. Leave us a review. Send us an email. Get in touch with us. Interact with us. We're always very good about responding to messages from our people because this show is for all of you. Uh, Big thanks again to Merrill. It was a lot of fun to interview him. He is one of the kindest, most uh, joyous, affable people I've interviewed in the nearly 11 years of doing this show. And that was a lot of fun to put together. And a special thanks to Jared Jones for doing so and uh, being the one to initiate all of that. And with that, have a tremendous rest of your week until we meet again. For Jared, I'm Jeff. This has been This Week in Mormons. Be well, be holy, and be happy.